Let me invite your attention to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. And um, just uh, mention as you're finding that, that new members class that um, Chris mentioned earlier, it's about three weeks earlier this year than it normally is. And, and it, because of scheduling and my travel schedule and all that business, it just, we, had, we had another date that we could find. So the last Sunday of this month, two weeks from today, um, the second of this year's new members classes. So hope you'll check it out. <clears throat> now follow as I read, beginning at verse 1. I'll read through verse 8 of John 15. It reads like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, this is quite a passage. Um, I bet you, if you don't know much of anything about the New Testament, you still have heard something about this passage. Some say it's a parable. Um, Others call it an extended metaphor. I I call it a law. A law of spiritual productivity. And here's the law. To bear fruit, one must abide in Christ. Now guys, um, Identifying the main characters of this passage is not that difficult. In fact, it's pretty easy. I mean, uh, for instance, the vine. Pretty clear, is it not, that it's Jesus Christ. The vine dresser, or some of your translations say gardener. The vine dresser is God the Father. Then there's the fruit. Um, Fruit's a little bit more difficult, but it's just the natural result of um, of being related to to the vine who is Christ and the things that that would... Uh, naturally produce. I mean, when you're related to somebody like him, you know, that's what the fruit is. And then you have, um, then you have the branches. 
there are two branches, two kinds of branches mentioned in this passage. We'll look at them. And, and we'll find out more about who they are as we go. You know, guys, when you, when you sit down in front of a passage like this, um, <clears throat> you, you kind of have to choose which theme or which themes you're, you're going to develop. Um, which, which ones you're going to feast on. It, it's, like, it's like you've walked into Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and they handed you a menu and, and, and you've got to figure out, I mean, do I want a prime rib? Do I want a filet? Do I want a T-bone? Do I want a ribeye? You know, what, they're all good. It's just which one of these is going to grab my attention? Gang, <clears throat> this passage didn't become the beloved passage that it is because it has a skimpy message. It isn't a skimpy message in here. It's a very meaty one. And I want to suggest to you that the, that the heart of the message, the foundational principle of the law, the law of productivity, spiritual... The, 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 the foundational principle of this law is found in verse 5. The last few verses of verse 5. last few words of verse 5. Here they are. Without me, you can do nothing. I think the point is that no one really wants to abide in Christ until they are fully convinced of the truth of those six words. Without me, you can do nothing. Let me talk about those. those I mean, I think, I think that's the core of the text, actually. Uh, but let me just tease it out a little bit. Uh, guys, <clears throat> those six words are, are, give us, I think, a real measuring stick uh, as to any message that you may hear. That is, if what you hear coming from any pulpit, including this one, If what you hear makes much of man and little of Christ, then run. All heresies tend to flatter man and and shrink God. This this therapeutic, man-centered, horizontal, self-help, fix-yourselves message that is so prevalent today... Is, is nothing more than an indication of just how sick the Christian church is. Guys, we all long to be independent. We want to be our own boss. We don't want to answer to anyone. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. And then we see this. Without me, you can do nothing. And those six brief, simple words shattered that whole desire of ours to be independent. And consequently, you don't hear a whole lot about those six words. 
Um, folks, the, the core of humanity's sin problem is not something that's horizontal. It's not, it's not relational. It's not some kind of relationship that needs to be corrected horizontally. It's a vertical problem. The core of the man's sin problem is something vertical. It's a relationship that has to be restored. And that restoration begins for us in regeneration. And then it continues ongoingly based on a, on a deep conviction. And that conviction is, without me, you can do nothing. Now, let me just, to make this clear, let me, let me point out what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, without you, I can do nothing. You know, there used to be an old anthem that, um, that was sung in churches. I heard it one time, maybe just once. It seems like I heard it 50 times, but um, maybe just the once was enough. <clears throat> and, the, and the anthem that was sung by choirs, it would go something like this. A God has no hands but your hands and no feet but your feet. And, and ladies and gentlemen, if God has no feet but my feet, he's in trouble. Jesus doesn't say, without you, I can do nothing. He says, without me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, without me, you can hardly do anything. He doesn't say, without me, you cannot do great things. He says, without me, you can do no thing. Martin Luther said that nothing does not mean a little something. Guys, what, what that means is that the entirety of, of my Christian experience is to be lived with, the, with a consciousness that without me, you can do nothing. It, it's just the sin qua non, yeah, without which nothing. It's, it's the start, ladies and gentlemen. Without me, you can do nothing. Um, Jesus even pronounces a benediction on, on that, that mindset. Uh, he, at the very opening of his ministry in the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude, he says, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed is the man who recognizes that, you know, without me, you can, you can do nothing. Now, here's, here's another observation about those six words. What kind of devil says something like this if he isn't God? What if I said this? What if, what if I said those words to you? What if I said to you, hey, listen up, y'all. Listen up. 
Without me, <laughs> y'all can do nothing. What would you think of me? I mean, you would croak and you'd have a right to. I mean, you would, you would run me off, and I, at least I hope you would, if I were to say something like that. What I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that those six words, just those six words, are an indirect claim to deity. Because you see, only God can say something like that. And Jesus said it. Because Jesus is God. You know, and I, for one, I'm glad it's in here. I'm glad this is true. Because, you know, if, if we could do something without Christ, then we would major in that. We would, we would put it at the center, and we would call that Christianity. Because we would try, our, we, would, we would love to be told that that thing that we can do without him, that's, that's Christianity. I'm glad it's true. And yet so many of us have had to learn the hard way that it is true, haven't we? Now, so that's... That's kind of the fundamental, foundational principle of the law. And, and the law, you may recall, is to bear fruit, one must abide in Christ. But no, nobody wants to abide in Christ unless they're convicted or convinced that those words are true. Okay? But that's the, kind of the foundation principle of the law. But here's the second thing that this paragraph teaches. Uh, it teaches that fruit is the goal of and the proof of Christian reality. Fruit is the goal of and the proof of Christian reality. Am I real? Am I really his? Well, if I am... The proof is in the fruit. By the way, this is nothing new. Jesus has been saying this from the very day that he preached his first sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says, by their fruit you shall know them. That's in, that's in Matthew 7. This is nothing new, guys. If I am his, then the goal of my existence or the goal of his bringing me to himself is that I bear fruit. The word fruit is found six times in this brief little paragraph. All Christians bear fruit. Some more than others indeed. But all Christians bear fruit. Nothing is more honoring to the vine dresser than when a branch that he planted and that he prunes bears fruit. You want to know what glorifies God? Fruit glorifies God. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. 
fruitlessness is a very bad reflection, not only on the vine dresser, but on the vine as well. It's some kind of poor vine and poor vine dresser that has a vine that doesn't, that doesn't produce any fruit. And, and you know, guys, Jesus says that in verse 8. I mean, it's look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. Well, by, 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 by what, Jesus? That you bear much fruit. So you would be my disciples. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, in that one verse 8, he is stating that the two of them, the Father and the Son, have a real stake in the branches bearing, bearing fruit. This is the way that my father is glorified, and these are my disciples. The ones that bear fruit. Oh, but you know, but Dr. Young, I, I, you know, I, I think I, I don't agree with you. You know, I, 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 um, I think you're wrong. Uh, you know, I, I, I have next to no interest in, in a genuinely holy life, and I'm living like that. But, but I'm a Christian. My friend, why do you think that? Um, is it because your parents were Christians? Listen, my friend. You need to stop kidding yourself. The proof of one's reality is in the fruit. Oh, but... Dr. Young, you can't, you can't judge my insides. You're exactly right, my friend. I cannot. But you know what? I don't need to. Because you see, fruit is something that's on the outside. It's observable. It's, it's quantifiable. Um, Jesus says, by their fruit you shall know them. He doesn't say, by their leaves you shall know them. Um, it's fruitlessness, according to this little passage, that seals one's fate. And did you see that fate described? It's not, it's not pretty. It's in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. Whoa. That is a graphic reference to judgment. Either branches bear fruit or they burn. You see, folks, there are among the vine, those that look branch-like, but they're not real branches. They're nominal, but not real. You know, I have a tree in my backyard. Um, I planted that tree years ago, I think right after we moved in. So 
gosh, 15, 16 years ago, I planted this tree and, and, um, and it, it, it seems, I guess it's made it, it's still alive. It's, I like the tree, it's a, it's a pretty tree, it's rather misshapen, but it's a, it's a nice tree. It has, it has pretty pink blossoms in, in the spring and it's got these purple leaves in the, in the summer and, and, um, and I like the tree, you know? Um, but a, a couple times every summer, I'll, I'll walk by the tree and look in the tree and, and notice that there are some, some, some branches that are in there that, are, that they don't have anything hanging off of them. And so I reach into the tree and just kind of snip them off. And I mean, they snap right off. And you know why they snap right off, don't you? Because there's no life in them. Um, their union with the vine is only an outward and a formal one. They, they look like a branch, and in some ways they act like a branch, but they're really not a branch. Um, there are church members who were baptized, but they're not real. And um, the way you know that is because there's no fruit. I didn't make up that story. That's just a beloved story that Jesus tells. Also in this story, there, there is another kind of cutting that is performed by the vine dresser. It's said in this little paragraph that he prunes. Why does he do that? Well, because he wants more fruit. <clears throat> so, the, so the vine dresser comes to the vine and he comes to the real vine and he, um, he cuts off that which is hindering the real growth, and what that means is <clears throat> that the most fruitful of all the people of God are the ones who have been pruned and, and felt the sharp edge of the pruning knife the most frequently, the most often. You know that, I mean, you get that, don't you? I mean, you know what that's a reference to? It's a reference to those, those things in our lives that we don't, we wish weren't, weren't there. That is the difficulty, the trial, the, the hardship, you know? Um, and yet, I think we all agree that it's those trials that, that wean us from the world. They, they kind of root out all the, the pride and the self-sufficiency. Ladies and gentlemen, the pruning is a part of Intimacy. You know, there's a great uh, text, which I, I wish you'd read later on this afternoon. I, I don't have time to read it all, but it's in Hebrews 12, and it starts at verse uh, 3. I, I just want to read you one verse out of it. Um, he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be, despi be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. 
For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. You know, um, I could insert the word prune in this verse and do no damage to this text. Let me do that. My son, do not despise the pruning of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are pruned by him. For whom the Lord loves, he prunes and prunes every son whom he receives. You know, one of the things that that communicates is that there's not a vine in here that's perfect. And because we're so imperfect, there is this pruning that has to go on to make us more and more like the Savior that we say we love. Um, because of our imperfections, there is a necessity of pruning. And none of that is punitive, lady. None of that pruning is, is punitive. His motive is love. God is not out to get you. It's, it's just part of his care for his vineyard. And, of course, his determination that we bear much fruit. So, <clears throat> the vine dresser does a couple of things. First of all, according to this paragraph, he eliminates the fruitless, the useless, the unsightly, the unreal, and he gathers them up into a big bunch, and then he... That, that's one of the things that he does. The second thing that he does is that regularly he prunes the real. And in both of those instances, the issue is fruit. In one instance, there's none. The other issue is he wants more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the picture of the Christian life. It's the standard operating procedure. It's the way that the, the vine dresser works with the branches that are attached to the vine. So you see, according to this little paragraph, there, there are really only two alternatives. No fruit... Or more fruit. Nothing. Or much more. Much more fruit. Guys. All of us lovers of Jesus in here. Our present level of sanctification. Has got to go. And it's going to be replaced by one that bears much more fruit. And the method by which the vine dresser accomplishes that is what this text calls pruning. 
we are not perfected at once and thus pruning. (laughs) Guys, let me try to say it very simply. Nothing in the world of the Spirit, nothing is as important as fruit bearing. The only satisfactory evidence of my reality is fruit, faith, repentance, holy living, obedience. Jesus says that. He says it very simply in Luke 6. He says, for every tree is known by its fruit. That's pretty simple. But it begs this question. What kind of fruit is hanging off of you? Um, thirdly and finally how is this fruit produced well according to this little story it is simply due to the sufficiency of the vine Um, life flows through the vine into the branches, out into fruit. Jesus Christ is my only source of life. Every piece of life that I have, I got from him. I am what I am. I feel what I feel. I do what I do because of my union with Christ. All that is in the vine is for the benefit of the branches. You know, and that's what this this little paragraph is all about. It's it's really about one's union with Christ, um, and then having having established that union and regeneration, he then calls me to abide. That's an aorist, active, imperative Greek verb, which simply means. It's a command. And it's a command that occurs 15 times in 10 verses. And and notice he he says it to the already clean in verse 3. You are already clean. And to the already clean, he says, abide in me. I cannot bear fruit apart from this abiding Guys, um, there's nothing passive about abiding. Um, Don't confuse um, regeneration and what's being discussed here. Uh, To be in Christ and to abide in Christ are two different things. Um, the, The New Testament never exhorts us to be in Christ. But it does exhort us, even command us. To abide in Christ. Um, being in Christ is something that was affected, affected at regeneration. But once I'm in Christ, I am exhorted 
to abide in Christ. And at the center of my abiding, look look what he says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. At the center of my abiding is his word. That that, that statement in verse 7 almost equates Christ and his word. They're almost identical. And, And I would suggest to you that that word becomes more and more real during the pruning. (laughs) Now, let let me close with this. Um, What does abiding mean? What What does that look like? Well, I've got six definitions for you here. A couple of them are mine. Most of them I got from elsewhere. Um... But when I am exhorted, when I am commanded to abide, what does that, what does that look like? Well, let, me, let me just give you these, and hopefully one of them will be, be helpful for you. What is abiding? Number one, sustained conscious communion. Number two, a daily disciplined active faith. By the way, these are not supposed to be added on. They're just different ways of seeing the same word. Secondly, a daily discipline, active faith. Thirdly, a continual sense of our need so that we cling to him through his word. Number four, a continual consciousness of our helplessness which drives me to throw myself on him. Number five is, I think my favorite, because it's two words, and I lay in bed at night and I say this to myself. Clinging or abiding is tenacious clinging. (laughs) Tenacious clinging. Here's the sixth one. Allowing his word to so fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. That's what I'm being exhorted to do now that I, by his grace, am in Christ. That's what this paragraph's about. Guys, every Christian is an abider in some degree. We're an abider because regeneration brought us into union with Jesus Christ. We became abiders at regeneration. But this text is giving us the how of spiritual productivity. It is giving us the law of spiritual productivity. And here it is. Abiding in the vine leads to being pruned by the vine dresser, which has as its evidence the production of fruit or a holy life. Every Christian 
is an abider. And it's, it's evidenced in the, um, the existence of fruit. And by the way, not rotten fruit. I mean, if rotten fruit's all we got, what does that say about the vine? I mean, the vine must be pretty sick if all it produces is rotten fruit. And who's the vine? Every Christian is an abider. No non-Christian abides. So he bears no fruit. He's cut off. He's gathered up. And he's burned. This sweet little passage is contains poignant truth for us as God's people and for any who are not. May we pray. Our Father, I, we do thank you for your word. We, are, we love your word and we, um, in fact, we understand a lot of it. But we live so far beneath what we, what we understand. And so, Father, um, what we ask for is, a, is a, not only this reminder, but um, the grace and energy that will enable us to obey this command. Father, if you brought people in here who have not yet met our Savior, who, are, who have absolutely no fruit or no interest in really becoming more like the Savior, would you cause them to see that, um, that their, 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 their position is very precarious, very eternally frightening, and then show them the beauty of the Savior of ours, one who loves us enough to cut off those things that hinder us, uh, cut off things that hinder us from becoming less like the Savior. We ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name.